It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. It's Sunday evening, and welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Your hosts for tonight's show are Robert Brining and Jeremy Dunn. They'll be taking your calls and speaking on the topic of the week. You're encouraged to call in and share some of your life experiences with us. The number to call is 347-215-9442. That number again, 347-215-9442. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Pause I Am Radio. I'm your host, Robert Brining, joined by my co-host this evening, Jeremy Dunn. Jeremy, how are you doing this afternoon, this evening? I, I, you know what? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm a little sunburned. Um, yeah, a little bit? Yeah, I, I am way sunburned, actually, and my ne- the back of my neck is killing me. Um, <laughs> we went over to uh, the Daniel Stowe Botanical Gardens here, in, uh, which is close to Charlotte, and it was, a, uh-huh. it was a fluke. It was a complete fluke. And we spent a, a good amount of time outside today. So it was just, if anybody's in the Charlotte area or is coming down to the Charlotte area, I have to recommend the Daniel Stowe Botanical Gardens. They are beautiful. And they have like over 100 and some acres of, of land, and they only developed about one hundredth of a tenth of 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 that area and the the gardens are beautiful the crepe myrtles are gorgeous it's just just some really really beautiful grounds so come on down there's a plug for date for the daniel so botanical <laughs> gardens you know anyway because yeah, it's but, really hot down there now right oh my god robert you have no idea it's it's um it the official temperature reached 101 today we're never in the hundreds ever 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 and i know it's crazy add, yeah, and then when you add the humidity on top of it, it's miserable. And so what did Jeremy do? He took the top down off the Jeep today. <laughs> You're asking for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I kind of asked oh, well. for it. But, but you know what? It was a beautiful day. We went down to this little lake. Oh, not a little lake, but it's called uh, Lake Wiley. And then we drove around the lake, and that's how we ended up at the Daniel Stowe Botanical Gardens. It, I know you didn't want to know that, but that's what we did. No, that's interesting. No, because I know it was really hot because it was hot here this week, um, last couple of days up here, and I remember them saying how hot it was going to be in, in the Carolinas, so it made me uh, think of you, and I was just like, oh, he's going to get burnt, and you kind of uh, tell me that, you know, you're yeah, definitely I'm, burnt. I, I'm burnt. I have, I have a um, farmer tan going on <laughs> because, you know, I, I, I don't like to take my shirt off in public, so um, – I, I have these sleeve marks and things like that, and it's like I will go into a pool fully dressed. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I shower with the lights off. <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> I do. I, I have to feel my way around, you know? <laughs> so what's, what's new in our guest tonight um, is – Chelsea Golden, who um, is from your area, and she's going to come on in a little bit. I'm waiting for her to still call in. But, uh, I, I wanted Chelsea. to talk a little bit. Yeah. What's going on? Actually, she just rang. So why don't you um, um, do a little intro for her before I bring her on? Oh, you want me to do the intro? Yeah, Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, we want to re- – no, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. But did you like the voice? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <You're> masculine. <laughs> wasn't it? Um, I won't do that again. Um Folks, we have somebody, we have a local girl from Charlotte on, on the line. Um, her name is Chelsea Golden. Um, and I'm not going to go into her backstory because I want her to tell it because she is such a, an incredible speaker. Um, Chelsea and I um, worked on trying to develop a, uh, a speaker's bureau with the, Metro, which is with the now defunct Metrolina AIDS project here in Charlotte. And... Um, Let's just bring Chelsea on because I, I think she's incredible, and I, I would love to have her 
say hello to everybody. So bring her on. She's on. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hey, Chelsea. Hi. How are you? Good. How are y'all? How are y'all? I don't don't even say that. (laughs) That's because you're a country girl. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're good. How are you? I'm well. How's the baby? I'm well. He's not so much of a baby Um, anymore, but... Yeah, he's six. He's good. He's good. He's he's big. Wow. He helps me mark my time, though. What's that? I said he helps me mark my time, though. I bet he does. (laughs) (laughs) So um, tell us what's going on in your world. Let's start at the very beginning, Chelsea. With, okay. I mean, we, we've got a whole, we've got 40, uh, we've got 55 minutes. So let's start at the beginning and let's use up the whole 55 minutes. And, <laughs> and, and tell us, how did you get to be where you are today? And let's start at the very, very, very beginning. So once upon Ooh. a time, there was a girl named Chelsea. Go. <laughs> well, once upon a time. Um, well, actually, I grew up in New Jersey. Um, as country as I am, I know that's kind of hard to believe, but um, I grew up in New Jersey, and um, I guess what started everything was I grew up in a church that was very, like, uh, mission-orientated, like we would go into New York City on Friday nights and feed the homeless, and um, it was a non-denominational church, very accepting, come from a very accepting family, so I was raised very open-minded. And I can remember doing a play when I was really young. Um, still had braces. I was probably in the sixth grade. Um, and it was kind of a spinoff of the Ryan White story. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time that I really heard about HIV or AIDS. Um, I was Ryan's only friend. And so I would say that this church probably gave me the groundwork that I needed to understand that what I wanted to do in life was help people. Although being in the in the sixth grade, seventh grade, whatever it was, um, as I grew older, you know, HIV definitely was not on my radar. It was not one of the specifics. You know, it was like world hunger, peace, children. Um, but as I grew older, I kind of kept that I want to help people. So um, I had a little trying moment in my adolescence where I was kind of, um, as my mom said, would like. I, <laughs> She hopes I reap what I sowed. Um, I was gonna, I kind of went a little nuts. Um, and uh, but I kind, I kept my head straight as far as schoolwork goes. Um, I met a man my junior year of high school, which by then I was already in North Carolina, and he became like the focus of my life. Uh, and at that age, you know, you, you really. At the age of, what, 17, you really don't know what love is because you really don't love yourself. But you couldn't tell me that at 17 because I knew that I loved this man and we were going to grow old and have a little, like, Brady Bunch-type family. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, everything in my world was perfect. Um, meanwhile, my mom is like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> what is going on with her? Right. Um, so I... I I went off, when I started looking at schools, I didn't look at any other school except for the school in the next town over, which happened to be UNC Charlotte. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. So I applied. I got in. I moved into the dormitory, and before freshman year was over, I had moved out and into a very small apartment with this man. Um, And for the next couple of years, we kind of just played house as I say, like, we just played house. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to work, I went to school, and we just kind of acted like we were married. Work, school, and then cook and clean and just have this relationship. So as time went on, um, I began to sort of see the relationship for what it was, and things started to kind of crumble and fall apart. Um, The first two or three years were great. Um, We got tested uh, for HIV. Even though it wasn't on any of our radars, we got tested 
I think right before we moved in in 2001, right before I moved into Charlotte and moved into the dorm with him. And basically I got tested at that time because I had heard that somebody I had messed with prior to him had come back positive. Uh-huh. And so although I didn't tell him why I wanted to be tested, I got us both, we both went to the health department and we were both tested. And we were both negative. So for me, that was like my green card, I guess you could say, like my STD-free card. As uh-huh. There's like this big fab on the Internet now with the STD-free card. That was right. my STD-free card, and that was his STD-free card. So I was like, okay, we're good. Um, but now that I look back, I see that as like that was my chance to really realize how real HIV was and how close it could come to me and how it could be me. Um, but instead, I was like, oh, you know, dodge that bullet. <laughs> right. And um, moved in with him, and as the years went by, things started to crumble. Um, I had a class of in college in my sophomore year, sophomore, maybe junior year, which was sociology of death and dying. And in that class, we kind of talked about HIV a little bit because it was my teacher's favorite subject because her husband is an epidemiologist in Mecklenburg County, which is Charlotte, for HIV. So we talked about how um, you go through a grieving process just like you do when somebody close to you dies when you become infected with HIV. Right. And I thought it was really interesting. Um, they brought in, he, she brought in her husband and she showed him, um, he showed the map of cases, new cases of HIV, and you saw, like, the huge cities were shaded in, and then you saw the Bible Belt was shaded in, and I was like, oh, that's odd. That's where I live. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it still didn't really register, like, that could be me. What it registered for me was, I got to save everybody else. (laughs) Right. Because I was already, you know, had my STD-free card, so I came home, and um, I told my boyfriend at the time, I was like, look, look at these (laughs) infection rates are really, really high. And, you know, he had a lot of people in and out of the house. So as they were coming in and out, I would talk to them about the infection rates. And he would be like, will you stop running all my friends away? Nobody wants to hear that. (laughs) Nobody wants to hear about that thing. (laughs) That's what, um, so. That thing, yeah. Eventually it kind of faded back off my mind. Until um, 2003. In 2003, in um, February of 2003, everything just kind of fell apart. I realized everything that had been going on behind closed doors um, as far as him cheating on me and he was selling drugs and, like, all of this stuff was just coming to light. And I was like, wow. Um, So I moved into my own apartment at that time. And he moved back to the little town where we had um, moved from. And um, just to keep it real candid, because um, I don't believe in sugarcoating things, I got my first yeast infection at that time, and I didn't know what it was. I knew something was wrong with my body, but I didn't know what it was. I thought it was an STD. So I start freaking out, and I'm ready to kill him because I still have only um, been with him since we had been together. So I'm ready to kill him. Um, And, of course, I had built my life around him. I had no college friends. I had no college life, no club, no sororities, none of that. So I came back to him, and I was like, we need to go and get tested for everything. And he was like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Um, So I went to my private doctor, and I was tested for everything. The doctor was like, calm down, you know, lots of women get it, it's just a yeast infection, and he sent me on my way. Well, it came back, and so I called him, and I was like, oh, no, we're both going, we're going together, and, like, I'm not saying, I'm coming to get you, and we're going now. So I came, and I got him, and we both went to the health department, and we both got tested again for everything, and they told me um, it was just a yeast infection, don't worry about it. Um, go on my way. So I went on my way, and a couple of weeks later, I was at his grandmother's house, which is where he was 
staying at the time, and we literally drove right down the street and came right back. There wasn't even a stoplight. And when we got back, there was a little note on his grandma's door. So he pulled down the note, and it says um, his name, and it says, please contact us at, and it gave a telephone number. So we're like, who is this, and why are they, you know, they got your full name. And so he calls the number back, and the guy's like, oh, this is my cell phone. I'm not even out of the neighborhood yet. I can come right back. So he comes right back. And mind you, his grandmother lives in, like, a neighborhood where everybody's kind of out in the street and hanging out and cooking out, and it's just very neighborhood-like. Right. And so everybody comes out. Um, everybody's out, and this county car pulls up, um, and this guy gets out with, like, this huge manila envelope, um, and he says, is your name so-and-so? And my, I guess, ex at that time. Um, but not really, <laughs> says, yeah. And the guy says, well, I need to speak with you alone. And so my ex looks at me, and he looks at the guy, and he's like, well, anything you have to say to me, you can say in front of her. And at this time, <laughs> I'm thinking, like, yeah, there's no secret. Like, tell me, too. And so he looks at me, and he says, well, ma'am, what's your name? And I said, my name is Chelsea Golden. And his whole face just kind of dropped. And he was like, have a seat. I've been looking for you, too. Oh. And he proceeds to tell wow. us that we had both. I had given a fake address. But he proceeds to tell us that we had both tested positive at the health department for HIV. And I'm thinking, what? Like, In front of all these right. people, right? Yeah, well, they're not, like, right there, but they're, you know, kind of like one of those neighborhoods where everybody's looking like, what's a county car doing over there? Right, they can't hear what's going on, but they're wondering, like, why is a county person, you know, at their house <laughs> sitting out there right. talking to them? So they, so he he tells you he tells you both that and then and then what happens after that? Do you like what are your feelings going like when he tells you that? Well, I had turned 21 about four months earlier. I was going into my senior year of college. It was the summer between my junior and senior year of college, and I had just kind of let this man out of started to let this man out of my life. So my life was just supposed to, like, you know, at 21, you're thinking, now I can go out and drink, I can go out and party, I need to find college friends that I neglected to find the first three years of college. And now all of a sudden, nobody's going to want to be around me. Like, that's really what I was thinking. I just... And to tell you the truth, the week following that day and what I did for the remainder of that day is still a blur to me. I don't remember what happened after that. Mm -hmm. um, I just remember feeling so dirty. And that's really the best way I can describe it. He, I think he kind of had an idea because um, he just kind of sunk his head into his hands between his legs. And the man did tell us that we had both, the last time we had both been tested, this was August of 2003, was in 2001, and it had come out negative. So the last time he was tested was with me when, before we moved into that apartment together. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, God, I've got what? <laughs> and I just, I mean, I was shocked. I can remember what I was wearing that day. I can remember what the guy looked like who gave us our results. But, um, and I can remember him saying, now give me the list of names of everybody you've slept with in the last three years. And I can remember, like, all of a sudden I got really, really hot, like physically hot and angry hot all at the yeah. same time. Because I'm like, the last three years I've been with him. And he's looking at me like, well, maybe we should do this. He actually said, well, maybe we should do this one-on-one. -on -one. Like my answer was going to be different. I was so <laughs> mad. 
<laughs> it was probably to protect the other guy, you know, so you didn't like run flying across the couch at him or something. Right. Well, and we were sitting on on the front porch, like oh. out in the open. So God. I was like, <laughs> he was like, and and I can remember him calling me. I changed my number actually, which um, when I started to do the work, I found out a lot of people do, um, because they have rightfully so earned the name, the nickname, the sex police, D-I-S has. Um, and I understand their role, but they can be really pushy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, when you first diagnose, it makes you feel some kind of extra dirty. That They're like, give me oh, a yeah. list of everybody you slept with. <laughs> you know, Chelsea, that's interesting because, you know, that was something that I could relate to with your story was I was diagnosed at, at the age of 21 as well. And, and, and going through that process at that age, you know, where you're just about to go out and start enjoying and drinking and having a good time and you have all that, you know, those downward thoughts of yourself after the diagnosis. You talked about uh, being dirty and I think I read that somewhere you talked about maybe feeling tainted and how that made you feel afterwards. And that's a normal thing for people who are newly diagnosed. What did you do to kind of turn that around and, and make you, yourself feel good about it? Um, well, it took a while. Um, it took a while. Like, and really, I know afterwards. I had a little bit of help because afterwards um, I went back to my private doctor and I asked them why didn't they contact me and tell me that I had tested positive. And then they told me that, they, that I had tested negative for them and that they had been getting a lot of the false positives from the health department. So I'm stuck um, kind of like in between, am I positive or am I negative? Um, With the reality of it, I mean, I'm not, I have some common sense. So common sense would tell me that both of us aren't going to test false, aren't going to have false positives, that it was most likely the, the negative that was wrong. Mm-hmm. But I had to hold on to that little bit of hope that maybe it wasn't going to be me. Um, but the doctor said that he would run a third test and that um, he would try to see if that's the reason why the yeast infections kept coming back. He came immediately back in the room and he said, well, we're going to send you to a different lab for the third test. Um, but don't worry about it. We're going to do that in six months. But I did want to tell you that your urinalysis came back that you were pregnant. And so now um, I have a doctor. Thank God I am bold enough to tell the doctor that, no, it won't be in another six months. It'll be today. You'll test me today. I want that paperwork, and I'll take it to whatever lab you want me to go to. Um, But I might be positive, might be negative, but I am pregnant. My mother's going to kill me. I mean, so I've got all these different things going on, and school's about to start back. Um, so I, I go to the, the other lab and I can remember handing, it's like a lab corp where people just go and get tested for everything, drug tests, everything. I can remember handing the paper over and seeing just numbers on the paper, but it was almost like it registered with, with the receptionist as to what the test was and she just looked at me. And that could have been, that could have been me feeling some kind of way. Or it could have been actual because I've seen, I've seen, you know, medical professionals treat people differently with HIV. Um, but at that time, you know, a cat could have run away from me, and I'd been like, no, the cat knows. <laughs> so um, <laughs> the cat knows it doesn't want to be around me either. <laughs> so um, I came back in for my results two weeks later, and that was a long two weeks. Um, yeah. Now, and doing HIV testing, I tell people, you know, it's a long two weeks. Um, yeah. So I came back in for those results, and they put me in the very last room of the clinic and left me there oh. um, for from 3 o'clock to 5.15. Oh, gosh. Oh, my Lord. And yeah, and when I came back, when the when the doctor came back in, I already knew, you know, what I, I remember being on the phone with my oldest sister who was living in San Francisco and had been for 13 years um, at that time, so she had 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 some experience around it. Right. Um, and I could talk to her without directly telling her what was going on, but I think she inferred it, um, but she didn't really 
switch the issue, but um, doctor came back in and told me that um, I had tested positive and there were a lot of options for the baby. And, you know, at this time, I'm like, I'm not hearing anything he's saying. <laughs> I'm like, okay, all I heard was positive. <laughs> um, and, it, and it took me a while to turn it around, but I think the baby really, really helped. Um, you know, I, I talked to my mom about it and I told her and she just was not supportive at all. Um, she just kind of ripped me a new one and every, I was like a hoe and a whore and a slut and I opened my legs to everything under the sun. Mm. And so that really did not help. Uh, and so I, I was definitely in a downward spiral at this point. Um, I went back to my sociology of death and dying teacher, and she had um, also coincidentally was my advisor. And so she told me um, about Metrolina AIDS Project, and I went in. Um, first, I called them, and they told me that there was a waiting list, um, but they referred me to Agape, which was like um, another company underneath them. Um, it was like their Part D grant. And so I went to Agape, and um, I met a woman who had been living with the virus for 17 years. And that was like the very beginning of a glimmer of hope for me. Um, and I, I probably called her, probably called her about 10 times a day for the first week or so. <laughs> She's probably definitely ignoring my phone calls. <laughs> I did a lot of Talk to me. I did a lot of crying because nobody really knew. Um, and the people that I did know, like my mom, was she wasn't very supportive. I told both my sisters. My sister in San Francisco was fabulous. Um, and she told me about a lot of her friends that were positive and some that had even been kind of knocking at death's door and with all the medical advances. She knew way more than I did. Um, she was like, with all the medical advances, you know, he's, Completely, she was speaking of one of her best friends, completely turned around and he's really strong and healthy now. You can't even tell. And I'm like, I will always know. Um, so I just kind of made a decision um, halfway through my pregnancy that if I was going to keep crying and living, like, that wasn't the quality of life that I wanted. I didn't want to be sad. I don't like to feel sad all the time. Um, one thing that I would say probably helped me was that I didn't have a lot of friends. Like, I didn't have a sorority that could find out. I didn't have, like, clubs. I wasn't a member of any clubs or any volunteer work. I had already sort of socially isolated myself because of this man. So I didn't have a lot of longtime friends that I was afraid were going to turn my back, their back on me. Mm -hmm. um, I, was, I was starting to build those friends back. Um, so I think that kind of helped me a little bit, but I still didn't want anybody to know. I didn't want anybody to know because to me, I thought HIV was like, that was nasty and people that had it were nasty and that was people's mindset, whether it was true or not. Um, and I can remember, it's, it's funny now because I talked to people that had it since birth, and they always, um, well, not always, but a lot of them tell me, you're lucky because you know what it's like to live without it. And so that's funny because when I was first diagnosed and I first started telling people, I told them I was born with it because then I felt like they wouldn't look at me like it was my fault. Right, right. <laughs> um, so yeah. I <I'm, laughs> I think there's a little bit of envy on both sides, but um, yeah, there is. But I did, and I wished I was born with it. Um, so, so I had my baby like? in April, and I graduated right. from college in May. Um, and I started working for MAP um, in November. And when I started working there, in November of 2004, I had been diagnosed a little over a year. And I made up in my mind that I was going to help people with HIV, 
but I wasn't necessarily going to tell them that I was, I was going to be like a closet helper. I wasn't going to tell them that I was living with it too. Um, but then when I saw everybody else's pain, I kind of felt obligated to tell them, um, you know, you can get through this. I mean, I may not be all the way through it now, but I'm on the road road to being better and the road to recovery, and you can be too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then birth the uh, the youth program because I think a lot of times young people deal with it really really hard because they mm-hmm. see it as they're dying so young. Right. But that's that's kind of what started it all. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, when you and I met in person, what was that? That was three years ago? Probably. Pro- I was going to say about 2007. <laughs> yeah, I think it was three years ago. Um, we were, you were working with uh, Metro Line AIDS Project, and you were heading up there their their uh, teen speakers bureau is that right? I was heading up their what their speakers the bureau? Youth, the youth the speakers youth. bureau or the um, youth something? Yes. I'm losing my um, mind. <laughs> you, were, you were doing well, something with actually, young people. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I mean, it actually came out to be like a five component youth program. Right. Um, and it did have a youth speakers bureau in it. Mm-hmm. It also had a, excuse me, it also had a youth support group, gender specific, because um, I found out that girls don't really like to talk around guys about yeah, what they're going through. Like yeah, girl, girl, yeah, girls are a little tricky that way. <laughs> we are, we are, and. You know, I thought back to when I was diagnosed, and I would not have liked to talk in front of a guy either. Mm-hmm. So we were doing gender-specific support groups. And unfortunately, a lot of girls' stories are very similar to mine, where mm-hmm. they found out when they got pregnant. Yeah. Um, they just, they don't see themselves at risk uh-huh. um, until they're diagnosed. So we were... Um, Providing childcare at our support groups for the girls, uh, which really helped a lot. It helped bring the numbers up a lot and the participation up a lot. So sometimes we had more kids than we did women or girls mm-hmm. because we would have, you know, one woman with two or three children and another one with four children and another one who was 16 with no children. But the numbers were always fairly equal for the kids and the Participants. Mm-hmm. So we had, um, let's see, support groups, uh, case management, where I would do their case management and help maintain their medical care, make sure they were up to, you know, if their count, if they hadn't been to the doctor, made sure they got there. If they, their counts were too low, um, made sure that they had the right education about medicine and started medicine. Um, I even caught one five-month-old, excuse me, five-month pregnant woman on a triplo one time. Oh. Oh, She could have had a baby with, like, three eyes and six arms. I know. (laughs) I'm, like, looking over her medical records, like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Um, But a lot of... A lot of primary care doctors don't necessarily feel like they have to turn a pregnant woman's ID care over to an ID specialist. Yeah. Um, they feel like, yeah. oh, well, a triple is a strong drug. and you know. Yeah, a triple is a strong drug. It, it gave, like, <laughs> monkeys one eye in the middle of their heads. Yeah. You know? So, so here's the question. Details, semantics, semantics. <laughs> I know. Who cares about that, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. So, um, really, that was an important component. <laughs> Let me ask you this real quick. Um, what exactly, because I know people are li- some people are listening or wondering, what does somebody do who is pregnant, who just, you know, who is HIV positive, what do they do to, to make sure that their baby is HIV negative when the baby is born? What is that process like? You know what? You? It is so, I'm sorry, there's like a loud truck going by. 
it is so easy to have an HIV negative baby. Um, the chances, if you do everything like you're supposed to, of having a positive baby, are like I think they're under one percent now. Um, so, but you do have to follow the guidelines very stringently, um, and they are: if you're not on medicine um, when you get pregnant then a lot of times they'll wait until the 13th week to start you on medicine. If you are on medicine, depending on what you're on, they may keep you on, like, sometimes they don't always keep you, and this is a doctor-patient conversation, um, but if you're on, like, Reitaz, Norvira, and Truvada, they may go ahead and keep you on that regimen if you're doing fine on that regimen. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're on anything with Sestiva in it, they'll definitely take you off. If you're not on meds, they'll probably put you on Comavir and Kalitra because that's the um, approved pregnancy regimen. Um, and then when you, if your viral load is undetectable when you go in to have the baby, then you can opt for vaginal or cesarean delivery. If your viral load is not undetectable, they're going to tell you to have a C-section. Um, and then they will give you an IV during whichever type of delivery it is. Um, they'll give you an IV of AZT um, to run through your system kind of as you're delivering. And then once the baby is born, they'll give the baby um, four doses of AZT excuse me, a day. So every six hours, even <laughs> and as messed up as infants sleep, sometimes the mother really just wants to let them sleep. If they just got to sleep, then they got to wake them up and give them AZT. Um, and then the baby is tested several times. Um, maybe it's tested at birth. And then I think, again, at five months is the new protocol. Um, maybe four weeks and then five months. But it's much shorter than what it used to be because they changed the type of test. They don't do the same test as if I went in for an HIV test. They would do like a, a a blood test or a swab test. They actually do a DNA test on the babies now. They do a, what's called a PCR, polymerase chain reaction test, where they're actually looking at the baby's DNA. So it, it's quite expensive, which is why they don't do it for other people. Um, but other people usually, when you go in for an HIV test, have an antibodies test which is why it used to take so long to tell if the baby was positive or negative because the baby's born with um, mother's antibodies. Right. All three of those tests have to be negative. If one of those comes back positive, you'll probably have a positive baby, whereas about 10 years ago they used to say, um, if one of them comes back positive, don't worry about it. We'll do another test in another couple of months. Now they don't do that so much because they're doing the different type of testing. They're not waiting for the baby to shed the mother's antibodies anymore. They're actually looking at the baby's DNA. Wow. Um, so if the second so test is next. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's very interesting because, you know, me, Jeremy, and, and when Jack goes, you know, we're guys, so we don't know about this side of, HIV and being a mother and going through pregnancy. So it's, it's good for our women listeners who are listening who, who are maybe going through it or, you know, who feel like they're alone and they don't understand. So it's good to hear this kind of side of HIV, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I will tell you that it's um, for somebody who, and I don't know if I shared this with you, Robert, or not, but um, I'm actually currently five months pregnant. <gasps> oh, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> So um, for somebody who, I've never been on meds, um, only during my pregnancy, which was like a way long time ago, um, mm-hmm. but I had never been on meds before in between them. Um, so I really didn't remember what it was like to be on meds. So when I was doing case management, I would always try to be empathetic with people or sympathetic um, with people that were starting meds and just like couldn't get it right. But you add nausea and everything, all the pregnancy symptoms, all the starting medication symptoms, it is not easy. I have a whole newfound respect for people just starting meds. <laughs> I mean, wow. really. Yeah, it's hard. Um, it really is hard. And then you can't really tell whether the side effects are coming from pregnancy or from the meds. The and then when you want to take, 
medicine to counteract the side effects that you think might be from meds. You can't because they're not safe for the pregnancy, and it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's so. Yeah, I think I, re- I, I read that on your face. I read that on your Facebook page something I think about you being pregnant, but I didn't want to actually say it because I wasn't no, sure. No. I didn't want to spoil the news. You know what I mean? Just in yeah. case you were not telling certain people, so I wasn't going to bring it up for you. Um, one of the interesting things that I. Um, wanted to talk about was your involvement with Hope's Voice because, you know, I'm involved in the, the Does HIV Look Like Me campaign, and so are you, and that's where I first, you know, found out about you, heard your story, and saw your video, and I just think, you know, it's an amazing program. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do for, for Hope's Voice? Yeah, I, um, I actually have been with Hope's Voice for about three years now, um, and I love it. Um, I go for, um, for those of you that don't know, Hope's Voice goes to colleges and universities and talks about HIV 101 and tells their story and then um, has interaction with the audience. And so I have been um, pretty much all over um, in some very rural places and some very urban places. Um, and it's great to be able to have a full-time job and have somebody else set it up because that's really my passion. That's where my passion is. Um, but I just, you know, with my family and stuff, I can't take all my time to, to do that. So I'm really grateful to be on a team of people that are really getting out there and spreading the word. Um, and then they have the ambassadors program, which is where they go across, um, across seas to different countries and kind of hook up with other AIDS service organizations in an effort to provide HIV education um, to schools and stuff across the East. So, um, God, I would so love to get involved more with that ambassador part. I have to give Todd a little phone call or something. Yeah, Todd Murray is, is actually the founder of, of Hope's Voice, and he he's a hard cookie to track down, <laughs> i tell you that. Yeah, yeah, I know, um, yeah, but he is. he's great. And he yeah. does a fabulous job. And I'm too old. Yeah, I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. I had well, like a revelation when I was no longer 24, and I didn't meet HRSA's guidelines of being a youth. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I'm about funny, to not meet Hope's voice. <laughs> and what was funny is I I actually contacted them um, when I found out that I was HIV positive, and they said, oh. Oh yeah, this is for people up to 25 years old. And I'm like, dude, I'm 30. <laughs> yeah, and actually he's extended it now to 30. Um, yeah, see, now I'm too old for that. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny because I think when... it to 30. he has not hired a new speaker in quite some time though. Yeah. Um, just the people that we have are really dedicated. We are about to have some people age out. Um, I am <laughs> age out. Oh, I aged out. <laughs> no. oh. I think when I sent my video, huh? I was just going to say when I sent my video in, I think the age limit was 28, and I think I was just about to turn 28, and he, and he let me slide in there. But I aged out pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny because even if you got diagnosed young, it takes you a while to get to a point where you're willing yeah. to stand up. I mean. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to stand up in, in front of. There's been times prior to me getting married where I have gotten in front of an audience and thought, like, oh, he's cute. I'm not sure I really want to talk about being HIV positive. Um, but then as I got more accustomed to it, it would be funny because I'd be standing up there and the ones that I thought were cute or that were I and me, I would watch their faces and I would actually find it amusing for them to go, <laughs> That's interesting. You know, you um, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say I was going to um, I wanted to bring up the fact that you know you I saw that you were I I mentioned in a an HIV Plus magazine you were you graced the cover of Boz magazine um a couple years ago or was it last year and you you were featured on Oprah you went on Oprah what was that like meeting the Big O. Um, it was interesting. It was it was very interesting. Um, she's nice. Um, 
<laughs> We're not allowed to talk too much about what happened around the show. They um, had a, right. I think, sign something, but um, it was it was interesting the way it all happened because. Uh, it was like they were looking for people, and they weren't really sure which direction they were going to take the show. And within, like, four days, we had been called back, flown out there, filmed, and the show was airing. So it happened really quickly. Um, and I think one thing that I'll always take from that, everybody's, everybody's like, wow, you met Oprah, you were on Oprah. But I think that the one-on-one time that we had with Magic was far more impactful for me. Um, because, you know, you hear these things about magic, like, oh, he gets rushed in and he gets paid all this money. He gets rushed into these events and rushed back out. But I'm not sure that he has, like, he was really genuine. Um, and I was really glad to have met him, both him and Cookie, um, his wife, were there. It was really nice to kind of see somebody sticking by his side, even though he was positive and she was negative, because it kind of gave me a little bit of hope. Um Right. When you first get diagnosed, people that don't really know anything about HIV say things that are really cruel and mean to you, like, oh, well, uh, you can only be with people that are HIV positive now. Well, that narrows the pool down, and it doesn't have to be like that. You don't, you know, I had a lot of negative guys accept me for who I was and what I had, and a lot of times they um, they respected me because I would tell them up front. I've had some bad experiences, but mostly they were good. Um, but Cookie and Magic really kind of gave me the extra push that I needed. And I still wasn't really out when I did um, Oprah. I had to make some phone calls the night before it aired and tell some family members, by the way, Grandma, <laughs> I just want to tell you in case you're in the hair salon tomorrow. <laughs> That's funny. You went on there with Marvelin, right? I did. Yeah, I love her. I She's awesome. Yeah, that's one um, of my best Yeah, I, I, she's so incredible. You know her. I, I just love her to pieces. Um, but one of the things that you mentioned in your in your your Does HIV Look Like Me video was that you know when you were diagnosed, one of the first things you thought of was that you could never be a parent. Um, how how did like because obviously you know within two weeks later you found out that you were you were pregnant. How did that yeah. like you know what I mean? Like, how was that process for you to be? so scared of it, and then, you know, kind of like God blessed you and said, look, here's your fear. It was a double-edged sword. Um, yeah. Because although I was blessed with um, my son, which I thanked God for every – I wasn't even a religious person then, um, nor was I spiritual. I don't even think I believed in God back then. But um, at the time, it was just like – I don't know if this baby's going to be positive or negative. And if this baby comes out positive, I will never forgive myself. Um, And that's really what I was hung up on for a long time. And then after the baby was born, they were not doing the PCR tests yet. Um, When my son was born six years ago, six and a half years ago, they were still doing the antibodies test. So a test could have come out positive and they would have told me not to worry about it. They were going to test him until he was 18 months old. And watching a four-month-old or a four, excuse me, four-week-old baby after you get out of the hospital, having to take them back to the hospital to watch them stick and try to get blood mm-hmm. from a four-week-old vein is really traumatizing. <laughs> and so for your you baby or for is the baby? here. <laughs> I think for both. <laughs> um, he probably doesn't remember it, but, like, you have nurses holding your infant down when their yeah. infant can't even hold up its own head, and yeah. the baby's just screaming, and they're just poking, and oops, and I'm like, oh, my God, and oops. this is all my fault. They actually said oops? <laughs> well, no, it's like, you know when you stick a needle in, and then you want to, like, readjust the needle once it's already oh, in the skin? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They said oops. So I'm like, oh. My baby, and it's all my fault because if I had taken responsibility, then even if uh, I was pregnant, my son wouldn't have to go through this. Oh, my gosh. Um, hey, I just so, want to let everybody know that it's um, 948, and we've actually got about 10 more minutes, 12 more, uh, yeah, 11 more minutes now to until um, 10 o'clock. 
And I wanted to open the line, make sure that everybody knew that the uh, lines were open. So if you have a question or comment for Chelsea, give us a call, 347-215-9442. So, so Chelsea, um, what, what are you doing now? What's going well, on with you? Um, Matt has closed. Yep. And so um, what we've done is I had some people that really touched me because they were so thankful and grateful for the youth program that was at MAP and for what it did for their life that they have convinced me to go after funding to continue the program. Um, So we're actually in the process of submitting a request for proposal for some of the Part D money that has been reallocated to the county that MAP lost that we were using to run the youth program. Um, so we're now waiting to hear back from that grant, and hopefully we'll get it. Um, but we've actually been continuing support groups out of our own pocket, um, and these two other guys have helped me kind of. Wonderful. Um, yeah, so we're still actually doing it. Um, and then I start school in a month. I'm going back for my MSW, so hopefully uh-huh. I can get my 501c3, and we won't need a fiscal sponsor when we go after grants. Great. I think that's terrific. Hey, there's a question out of the um, chat room from PoetGal32, and she wants to know if you know if you're having a boy or a girl. I'm having another boy. A boy. Oh, my gosh. Woohoo! Are you sure it's a boy and not just the umbilical cord? Oh, it's a boy. (laughs) He was not shy. It's a boy. um, Yeah, I was really hoping for a girl because I wanted to, you know, dress her and everything. Then I've done a couple speaking engagements since then. Uh Just teenage girls are a a mess. (laughs) 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 Kind of glad it's not a girl now. That's so funny. You know, I, um, I have a question here that was tweeted to me earlier today from um, HIV695. Uh, she tweeted, um, I just read that you recently got married. Congratulations. What is it like to finally get married? Um, it's, it's great, actually. It is. Um, I was really lucky because uh, we had a rough first year. Um, in our relationship, and I really didn't think we were going to make it, and we actually broke up, um, and then we, we got back together, and it's really good to know that there's somebody out there that kind of loves you unconditionally and has got your back, and um, it's not impossible to find love, and no matter what people who are negative say, you can find somebody. Um, you know, people who are negative oftentimes give a lot of um, negative feedback to positives who are dating, whether they be dating negatives or positives. I mean, just it's almost like once you become positive, they expect your dating life and your love life and your sex life to be just completely shut down. Um, and it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. If you are willing to kind of put yourself out there enough and put your status out there enough to tell your partners, you can really find somebody who loves you and accepts you for whatever baggage you bring. Right. So, um, oh, I just had a question anyway. Um, mm-hmm. that's good. Did, did, it lose, did it run out of your mind there, Jeremy? It, it, it did. It does. You know what? It, I blame the A-tripla. I do. <laughs> I, I, I blame Sestiva. Well, if it comes back, <laughs> let me know. Yeah, I will. I'll come back to it in a minute. That's funny. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about was your trip to, to Ghana, Africa. Um, tell us a little bit about that. What was that experience like for you? Oh, I, I've always seemed to do that. Um, well, I got the opportunity through an organization called Safe Haven, which actually runs um, camps for HIV-positive youth here in the States between 8 and 18. And then they go to Ghana. They have a Ghana outreach where they go into schools. Um, so I actually got to go with Safe Haven, and it was at the least life-changing. It was fabulous. Um, Aside from the soccer game, the African Cup of Nations and all that, um, it was just amazing to see people who had so much less than we had but were so happy about it. Um, And when I got over there, I was really excited to do, you know, all the HIV work. And what really shocked me, I think there were three major things that really shocked me. 
Um, one was the stigma was just, I mean, you can be sitting there telling somebody how HIV is transmitted and they'll argue with you. Uh-huh. No, you can transmit it through a fork. Uh-huh. No, you can't. And you'll be telling them why you can't and they'll be like, absolutely not. Anybody who's diagnosed with HIV needs to be like completely exiled out of the village. And I was like, really? I'm sitting here telling you that that's not the facts. Like, I've come all this way to educate you, and you don't even really want to hear it. Well, um, I, I the think younger. also, yeah, and, and you know what's funny about that, Chelsea, is that their government is telling them different stories. Yeah, um, they're definitely getting mixed signals. Yeah. Um, and mixed information. That's um, sure. But, you know, and then there's some people that are really, really receptive to it. So, I mean, they definitely run the whole gamut, but the stigma, I mean, I thought we had it bad here. The stigma there is just incredible. Um, and then the second thing was try telling an HIV-positive pregnant, because we went in and did some HIV um, work with support groups and stuff, um, and they travel for miles to come to these support groups. Try telling somebody that has just been diagnosed with HIV or thinks that they may be infected with HIV who's pregnant, how to keep their baby safe without breastfeeding. Right. They don't have a piggly wiggly to go to on the corner store. They don't get wick to get the formula. You know, I mean, how else are they going to feed their baby? They're going to have to breastfeed. And so that's like they're going to infect their baby. Mm-hmm. So we have all these great methods of how to keep them safe. And they, um, Ghana actually has a, a medication program um, that's funded through their government that actually is affordable. Um, you know, $5, I think, a month, and they can get their medicine. Um, and they can't access it because after the baby's born, they're not going to be able to feed their baby. I mean, it's just like, it's almost like a waste. Um, and then the third thing was they need to have a women's revolution there before you can really do any work. Um, you tell a woman how to say, how to keep herself safe, and she tells you that she can't say no to her husband. She can't even ask her husband to go get tested. And it's just, it's frustrating. Um, but I loved it. I still loved it. Uh, the people are happy and, and uh, yeah, so that was Ghana. Wow. I didn't want to come home. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a whole other, let's see, Ghana, let's see, that's that's in Africa. So I would worry about the the, the lions wanting to eat me. You yeah, know, you know, like, Ghana, well, we stayed um, we stayed in the southern half and in central. And so there's not really any lions there, but there are some wildlife that I wouldn't want to get too close to, <laughs> especially in the northern region, the northern region where the grasslands are called the Volta yeah. region. Uh-huh. Yeah, where um, they have the, Yeah, we didn't make yeah. it up there, though. We stayed urbanized. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Chelsea, this has been a great hour. I I want to thank you so much for coming on. This is this is Thank you great. for having me. Thank you. Absolutely. I was honored that you asked and glad to come on. Well, you know, yes, it's, I, to have you on. I I blame Robert for all of this. So <laughs> <laughs> It's all Robert's fault. <laughs> but well, one yeah. thing I did want to say to one thing I did want to say to you before you left is I love the quote that was at the bottom of um it was on the, the Think MTV article that you wrote. I believe it was probably in two thousand and six, I think, was when you wrote it. But the quote said, No one will love me and my body as much as I do. And I think it's such yeah. a great quote to live by and, and I just think it's wonderful. I think you're wonderful, what you're doing is great, and I just wish you much success and a happy baby boy. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Happy, healthy baby boy. I want it, I want pictures, and hopefully we'll have lunch before you have the baby. Absolutely. Uh, and right. Don't say nothing about how fat I got. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'll be taking pictures and going, look at her. She's huge. She's as big as a house. <laughs> don't put them on Facebook. No. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you again so much, Chelsea. Have a great night. Thank you all. Y'all do the same. Okay. Thanks, Chelsea. Okay. All right, we we are down to about a minute left. Real quick, um, before we get anything out, real quick, I want to let people know that um, directly after the show um, at 10.20, I will be on a radio show called The Alternative on Channel One. Um, It is hosted by Terry Legrand, and you can find it at WWLA Talk Radio.
com. If you'd like to, you know, listen in and call in and, and have a comment for me, I would greatly appreciate it if it's possible. And then I also want to mention that next week we will be speaking with um, Amy Bellmay, who is um, an activist, a POSLAM blogger, and she is somebody who's going to come on and talk about what it feels like to be on the ADAPT waiting list. And uh, she's going to share her story, and I believe she's in North or South Carolina, so she's near you too, Jeremy. Oh, wow. Uh, you know you know what's interesting, and, and I know we have like, a, like 30 seconds, but we're going to see more and more people from North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, in the southeast coming, um, coming up with HIV um, positive diagnosis, diagnoses because it's, it's so prevalent down here. It's just crazy. But anyway, you can find me at PositivelySpeaking.com, guys. And you can find more information on me at POSIM.com. Have a great night, and great. I will see you all next week. Talk to you, Jeremy. Okay. See you then. Bye. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.